Hey guys, Tayo Talapi is my guest this week. Tayo is a performer and a playwright and creator of the Arizona Open Book Society. Uh, we met actually when I was helping somebody facilitate an audition for a film they were doing. Uh, she came in an audition for us and I immediately felt like I definitely had to work with her again on my own in some way uh, and we were able to do that. She uh, was in our last um, Laughing Big Theater Monologue Cafe and she is helping us co-produce the next one. Uh, so I am super excited with how much I've been able to work with her. She's an awesome actress who's fairly new to the scene as well, but has really gone in head first. Uh, we talk a lot about what that's like. So if you want to check out Tayo and uh, check out what I'm doing with Half a Big Theater, our next monologue cafe is at the end of July. There's more details in the episode notes. Until then, enjoy our conversation with Tayo Talabi. Please don't. None of this is mine. <laughs> well, oh. welcome to Serving Artist Phoenix. Oh my god, did you do that? <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh my god, I don't know what's going oh, on. Tight. Uh, welcome to service, our Starving Artist Phoenix. I'm Tony Machetti. I've got Tayo Talabi on the line with me. Hi. How are we doing? Uh. On the line with me. This is not live. I'm not a radio show. This is a handheld recorder. <laughs> Oh, oh God! I'm gonna have to cut all of this. Uh, <laughs> I'm not. I'm not going to. I'm too lazy to do that much editing. <laughs> Welcome to the show, Tayo. How Thank are you doing? Thank you so much. I'm doing well, actually. Good. I'm glad to hear it. Uh, I am glad we uh, were able to set aside some time to do this. I know you're a very busy person, which is why I wanted to talk to you because you have mm -hmm. so much stuff on the horizon that I'm very excited about. Um, <laughs> some of it that I get to be a part of in a tangential way. Uh, but let's start from the beginning. It's always a good place to start traditionally. So what uh, what got you started in theater? Was theater the first like art form um, you were a part of? I've always wanted to do theater, as cliche as it sounds since I was a little kid. And I remember when I was in high school, I would take monologues from online and practice them in the bathroom just to practice hearing my own voice for some reason. <laughs> and I would just go outside in the backyard and try to copy whatever the actors I saw on TV would do. I would try to imitate that. And I always loved it because they were so free in expressing their emotion. They were so free and they knew how to express what they were feeling. And at that young age, I didn't know how to do that. I was still quiet because I didn't know how to articulate my anger, sadness, happiness, love. I was never really taught that. And I was somewhat between an extrovert and introvert at that age. So I was still learning socially how to interact with others. but. Through acting, I just had this need to be part of that because I thought it was a beautiful world where emotion was not inhibited, it was released. How did you start to realize that like that was a thing that people could do? You know, when you were watching people on TV, when, when did you start to realize that that was something that you, uh, you could do as well? I realized this at, I think I want to say 13, 
when I'm watching all these documentaries about these Disney Channel stars, right? And about how they made it. And I'm telling myself, I'm going to be as successful as Hannah Montana by 16. And so <laughs> I knew it was possible because... You know, that one's not a documentary, right? That one wasn't what actually happened. I know it's a TV show, but... but you know, that was, like, during the peak of social media, and I yeah. knew, like, you know, Miley Cyrus had, like, a MySpace and everything, and then she'll post about her acting and all that stuff. I think it was Miley Cyrus. I hope it was the real her. Yeah. But <laughs> <laughs> how they do interviews and talk about how acting is and auditioning, I always just thought, you know, by 16, I'm going to be an actress, and when that didn't work, by 18, I'll be an actress, and when that didn't work... <laughs> By 20, I'll be a working actress. <laughs> so what steps were you taking during this time? Were you actually, like, no, out there auditioning? I up? was just... Waiting to be discovered. <laughs> <laughs> Walking through grocery stores <laughs> trying to be discovered by... Oh, my gosh, trying to be discovered. Because, you know, you heard those stories of models and actors that just yeah. walk through grocery stores or in a library, and someone's like, you... <laughs> You're going to be somebody. So I thought, just like in love, yeah. you know, I thought I was going to bump into somebody all these years. I'm like 25 now. I've been bumping to a lot of people. <laughs> God help me. But other than that, I didn't really try until, I want to say, two years ago. Until two years ago, yes. All my life, I've always just decided, you know, if acting's not going to work out, I might as well just do sports. And I was an athlete. In college, I was a student athlete. So in my head, I was like, you know... You know, maybe the arts is not realistic for me. Maybe sports is more realistic because that's how people portrayed it to me. You know, they take it more seriously than the arts. Mm. And so once I got my scholarship to the U of A in Tucson, I just trained, went to school and believed, you know, I'm just going to be a professional athlete. What sport? A uh, woman's track and field. I specialize in the women's shot put. If people who, for people who don't know what... Uh, shot put is it's when you take a heavy ball and you throw it as far as you can <laughs> it's seen in the olympics you can see why people take that more seriously than that yes yes you know i just oh so much seriousness from age nine to 13 i always wanted to be an actress but i never took the serious steps to becoming an actress i just you know practice monologues online and in high school i just started focusing more on sports and then I got a scholarship to U of A to become a student athlete in women's track and field for shot put. And towards the end of my college career, I was in my last meet. And this meet defined whether I went to the Olympics or just ended my whole career. Because they were doing the trials again, and I needed to make a mark. And if I make a certain mark, then... The national team I was competing for was Nigeria. So Nigeria was going to say, hey, you made this mark, right? You're ready to come on the team. But that didn't happen. I pulled a hamstring. And it was like that moment where I knew I had to start life all over again. I knew I had to figure out who I was going to be because all I knew was sports at that time. And I'd forgotten all of my other passions. And... I was hysterical because for about six years, I was trained and told that this is who I was, and then I lost it. And so in 2016, I took time to really to really think about what I wanted to do. 
about who I wanted to be and what I used to like. And then I started watching movies because it's a great form of escapism, especially when you're mentally depressed and going through existentialism. (laughs) (laughs) And so I started watching a lot of movies and then I realized I felt so exhilarated getting lost in the story. I was enthusiastic about how the script was written. After I would see a movie, I would go online to figure out to see if they have a script online so I can see how the actors delivered it and the beats they took. Um, I fell in love with the scoring of movies all over again. I watched so many movies. I want to say about a hundred, but I can't name them all. I always go to movie theater by myself. That's the thing I started doing (laughs) in 2016. But yeah, watching these movies helped me rediscover my love for acting, for theater, for performance art. So uh, was it always performance in general or do you feel like you defer towards film because that's how you found your way back in i just defer to film because that's how i found my way back into the performance art sector um as an act is that your your preference still um my preference is all the above i love the adrenaline rush from stage theater Hmm. and the unpredictability as well in film where you never know what can come out of you, despite how many takes you may go through. And learning that love through watching all those movies that year, I I think I was watching the last Hunger Games movie, and while watching it, despite what anyone says about that movie, while watching it, I just admired how they had a female lead, that whoever wrote this book Whoever was the producer, whoever was the director, was able to convince a production company to put this movie on the big silver screen. And then luckily, it gained a massive following and was successful, and it was a female lead. And that's when it dawned on me that that's what I want to do. I want to tell stories. I want to be able to be that female lead that I see right here. Show all this emotion, show, you know, the range of emotion from sadness to strength to happiness to hate. I just want to be able to be well, well-rounded in my emotions. And so that's after that, I decided I'm going to take acting classes. And yeah. So going back for a minute, um, when you were just finding stuff online on your own to just practice, uh-huh. was there any like content or like... Uh, subject matter you gravitated towards that you like felt like this is what I do best. This is what I do. If someone stops me in a grocery store, I'm going to perform this. Drama. I love the drama. I don't know why. I I like (laughs) rom-coms and stuff, but like the drama is just deep for me. Like Tennessee Williams, just like families tearing each other, secrets coming out type of drama. Yeah, I love drama i'm getting into david mamet also i love how oh if he can write a play for women shoot i would do the men's play yeah because he can't because he's not good at writing women but it is that's another thing (laughs) (laughs) if he can finally get it together no no shade (laughs) but he is great the male ones are great but that's all he can do um but yeah i get you okay so it's like you wow as a kid you were reading mamet and stuff like what What was your introduction to that? Like, how did you even find that? My English teacher, she was an actress. And, I know, right? (laughs) And she 
talked about how she went to work and after work she would go do theater and how she's trying to be an actress and how we would read uh books as if uh were in the scene Mm -hmm. she like for example to kill a mockingjay she would not just read it (laughs) um but we had to read it in a way where as if were part of that scene part of that chapter interesting and she usually chose the books that most English teachers don't want their students to read. But it had good content and it taught you a lot about history and life in general. And so I just, I was just fascinated with it all, but I was just aimlessly looking through everything at that age. And now that I'm older and I decided to actually take classes for it, it opened my eyes more to how technical and how much work and focus actors go through to become great it's very under it's underrated acting because the greatest actors if you can see their process and how they decide to make those choices it's it's amazing it's like it's almost as if watching a genius at work now let's let's talk about your own your own journey towards making those decisions. So yeah. you started taking an acting class. Yes. Was it a culture shock uh, from what you had just been doing in your head all those years? Oh my gosh, yes! It was a culture shock because I had to do what I was doing in my head in front of people. Uh-huh. I, like the training, and I went my first acting class. My first, I want to say, real acting class was at Arizona Actors Academy. And it was the most, it was like a reality check for me <laughs> of how much I did not know, of how nervous I still was, of how I still wasn't embracing all parts of myself. Because in acting, you have to learn to embrace who you are as a person, physically and mentally, in order to express yourself freely. And that was a journey. I learned so much about myself. And I learned so much about, like, super objectives, you know, context, uh, subtext, beats, and things like that. So, yeah. Was there ever any um, resistance, I guess, for that for that type of, like, technical stuff? Like, from somebody who had kind of been training themselves for so long to step into that type of situation where an instructor is telling you, this is what you need to do to do it right did you ever feel any moments of like, that's not what I do? Um, no, because I was only training myself from like nine to 13 and I stopped. Okay. Um, but I was just so willing to learn because I was like, I want to be great. I want to be able to get this Oscar or something. <laughs> you know, I just, I just wanted to learn as much as I can so I can get work. But the only thing that I realized the hardest part of it all that my teacher kept reminding us is that you have to have true grit, especially when you go to auditions and you don't get the job. She basically told us that, you know, you need to not be doing acting. You should not be doing acting for the fame or for money. You should do it because your soul tells you there's nothing else you could do. And did you... Did you feel like that again right away? Um, yes. In the beginning, because, you know, I was gung-ho. I was like, yes, I got to do this. This is what I want. My soul's crying for it. <laughs> but 
it's like it is like being in love it's like being in a relationship because sometimes you can fall out of it and you can say maybe this is not for me maybe i'm not meant to be an actor maybe i'm not meant to create maybe i'm not good enough to write plays and stuff but then you always have to find your way back to it if it's what you truly love you have to rekindle the relationship with it because acting is not a physical being it's just enigma of art that is so intriguing so yeah. Yeah. so okay so you've gone through the classes and you're you're learning the how to connect with yourself in, in this way and you are starting to understand uh what kind of resilience you need um yes. to, to function in the in the fields uh, how does that translate to when you actually start auditioning um when i actually started auditioning after I want to say a f- few months mm-hmm. of training, I auditioned for my. F- I want to say. Yeah, for my first play, I want to say it's the first play. That's how I remember it. <laughs> <laughs> I auditioned for Stray Cat Theater's Native Son. That was your first play. Yeah, that was the first play I ever done. <laughs> <laughs> that was your first audition, really? <laughs> That's fine. I, I, I was. <laughs> And my teacher was like, oh, wow, you really you think you're ready? And I was like, I got this. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I remembered. I probably auditioned for other things, but that one stuck with me mm-hmm. more because I was in the middle between do I really want to do this or should I keep going? Because I read the script, mm-hmm. the script that was given to me and for the auditions, and I thought it was hard to dissect. I was still new. I didn't know whether I had to memorize the script. I was still trying to figure out the beat works. I was still trying to figure out relaxation so I won't get nervous when I'm auditioning. <laughs> and then finally the auditions came for Native Son. And I went in there and I was like, you know what? F it. <laughs> I'm going to do what I feel. <laughs> I'm going to feel. I just didn't want to regret holding back. Wow. And so I decided not to hold back when I was in there. And I used the space, the whole room. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, I just wanted to make sure I left everything out on the mm-hmm. floor for them to see. Let's see. And did you walk away, I know you kind of joking said it, but like, did you walk out of there feeling like you had done it? Or did you just walk away feeling like you had, I, were done with the audition, whatever? I walked away surprised at myself at how comfortable I was. Even cold reading. Yeah. There's a sense of calm that came over me because I actually took the work to prep for it. And also I took the time to... Uh, analyze the script in a way where if I were to cold read it, I'll be ready. I felt prepared. So when I left it, I was surprised at myself and I was glad I was able to be free. And I told myself, even though it might not be what they wanted or it might be what they wanted, you still did what you were planning on doing. And it's okay. You know, I was like, you're still learning. It's okay. (laughs) And how did it feel when you're actually on stage doing a performance for the first time then? Oh my gosh, that was crazy. <laughs> it was crazy. I didn't think I was going to get the part. When he said you got the part, when Ron May said you got the part, I was like, wait, <laughs> me? Me? Yes? Yes? Oh my God. <laughs> I was so surprised. And I looked into what the role was. Then I had to play an alcoholic girlfriend 
who's in an unstable relationship. And I was like, who gets raped and killed? And I was like, whoa, how do I portray that? (laughs) (laughs) And it was like, I want to say as a beginning actor, that was one of the hardest roles I had to do because Mm -hmm. I was still learning. And I just, I kept going to the acting classes while we had rehearsals with Native Son, and I took many notes. I My goal was to do a good job, because I was surrounded by seasoned actors, and I think I was the only one who never performed on the stage before, yeah. And so I just wanted to make not only a good impression, but to not let anyone down, because when you're in a scene, it's not just about you, it's just, it's about the other person as well. It's a relationship being formed on stage for other people to see. And so I just wanted to be sure I was ready. So to prepare for that role, I went to AA meetings. Uh, I went just to understand what alcoholism was and I watched videos too on YouTube. Um, I watched videos on people who survived rape and all that, just to get more perspective of the aftermath of it mm-hmm. and how people feel when people that they know did not survive it. Um, I looked up, I think Native Son was done in the 1930s, hmm. 50s, so I had to look up what Chicago was around that time. I made sure that I understood where my character was and her mindset and the reasons why she was saying these words, feeling the way she was feeling and how she was still able to feel love towards a man who keeps abusing her. I needed to make sense of that and not judge it. So. Every time before we did uh, rehearsals, I would always go through my notes that I'd take of my character, mm-hmm. and then I'll take time by myself so I can relax, and then I'll go and perform with everyone else. There's been an interesting through line through a lot of the anecdotes and stuff that you've been saying about um, using your technological resources. Yeah. Uh, so like you said, when you were 9 to 13, you were founding monologues online. When you'd watch a movie, you'd go home and find the script online. You were doing research on specific time periods. You're watching videos of other people who had been through certain situations and being able to study them. Do you, how effective do you feel like uh, a performer can be without those tools? I mean, if you're not in, let's say, mm-hmm. for me, I couldn't get into Juilliard because I never applied, but... <laughs> I didn't get a chance to go to Juilliard or study acting in college or in the formal ways, per se. So I think it's very helpful because let's say you don't have the money to go to acting classes. Let's say you really want to be an actor, but you're living in your car and you're in L.A. and you're trying to do auditions, but you don't know the Meisner method or the Stanislavski method, you know? I think the Internet nowadays is very helpful for people who lack those resources. And no disrespect to um, Arizona Actors Academy either, but do you feel like somebody could uh, rely on those tools completely and like still feel like they got the same value that somebody going to a class would? Do you feel like they're... I don't know. I, I don't want to say... Like, I don't know how to not say this tactically. Like, do you feel like classes are necessary when we have the internet resources? Um, hell yes. I okay. think they're very necessary because... Yeah. It's like me practicing singing, looking at YouTube videos, thinking I'm the best thing ever, like like I'm the shit on ice. And <laughs> I don't even know if that's the same. <laughs> Everyone wants to be the shit on ice. <laughs> <laughs> but 
just to see how you physiologically react in front of people, mm-hmm. to get feedback, to engage with other people, to see how you improvise when you're in the environment with another person or by yourself with other people watching you. It's it's totally different. It's a good asset to have, mm-hmm. you know, the internet. But I still think when you're immersed in it, let's say let's say you don't have enough money to get classes but you're getting a lot of auditions, that's really good because it's also practice. It's mm-hmm. it's its own way of class for you to understand what acting and film and theater is all about. I like that. Okay, so moving forward in time again. Uh now that you uh, have done a lot of traditional um, plays and, and all that and film work and, and what have you. Um, you seem to gravitate a lot recently towards kind of like short form, I guess, uh, performance art, like more solo performance. Where do you feel like that came from and, and why do you think that resonates with you? Um, that came from monologues, from doing a lot of monologues. Um just seeing how much it takes for an actor to carry the scene with them just talking, to go and figure out their range of emotions they need to portray while delivering this monologue is amazing. And same thing with storytellers also. I dabbled in acting and also, sorry, in monologue work Mm -hmm. and storytelling work. And the similarities between the two is that you need to know the arc. You need to know how you start from the beginning, middle, and end. You need to know the beats in between. You need to know which words to emphasize. I felt the need to do the short-form performances because it's. I just want to give a snapshot of what life is for a person for that moment. I just wanted to live in that moment. Maybe because of my sporadic way of thinking, because I'm all over the place. <laughs> but that's what I was into at the moment. I always loved watching movies and then when the character has a moment to themselves. And we're either watching them fall in love or watching them you know, dissipate emotionally. It's just intriguing to me just for them that moment like the movie could be 90 minutes but for that you know five minute scene where that one character is a focus watching them go through their emotional uh, roller coaster i think it's beautiful and i wanted to emphasize that at this point yeah <laughs> is there something attractive to the idea of being alone on stage it seems kind of romantic kind of poetic in a in a way to like the idea of the soliloquy yes. uh, type yes. of thing. <laughs> oh my gosh, I feel like my life is one big soliloquy. Um, <laughs> All alone, no one listening, never just talking. Listen to me. <laughs> no. But yeah. Yeah, I it's like an adrenaline rush. Mm. I think my thing is giving I guess people or actors the opportunity to be heard and to be seen. Because for me personally, I've gone through life struggling to be seen, thinking that that was the most important thing in life, that if no one notices you, then you're nothing. And I had to go through many years of learning self-love to know that as long as I see myself, I'm okay. And so when I try to make these opportunities for people, for example, by writing a short play 
or doing a storytelling and monologue festival. I want these people to realize the talent and genius that they have inside of them and love what they're doing and feel this form of freedom when they're on the stage to be whoever they want to be. Not just worrying about what the audience thinks, but to be given this opportunity to be who they're meant to be and to love that. I'm going to do a little bit of a hard cut for then, but uh, just the way you were describing that makes me very interested because as a producer, creating a storytelling event or monologuing event like that, um, at a certain point, you do have to make decisions on who gets those opportunities or doesn't. So what does that look like for you as somebody who's making those decisions? Um, Knowing that you're coming from that approach of, I want to give these people an opportunity. I know that everyone's got a story to tell. How do you decide who gets to tell their stories? Um, For people who've worked with me so far and auditioned for me so far, I am one to give notes while I'm doing it sometimes. Mm -hmm. Um, For example, if I know an actor has potential, I'll tell them, hey, maybe try doing it like this. Or if the audition didn't go so well, but... I don't tell them it doesn't go well, obviously. But I just, you know, I give them a little advice saying, um, so next time maybe you should try coming in with a monologue. Or next time, you know, when you're standing, don't stand too close to the table where the, you know, casting director is because it might be little things like that, you know? Mm. I always try to help them prepare for the next audition Mm. because... You know, if I see they all have potential in their own way, and if they truly want to get through this, they need to hear the feedback. Well, I feel like they need to hear the feedback if I decide to give it or not, if I can actually see they have potential. For those people who just want to do it because, you know, they saw Selena Gomez in Wizards of Waverly Place. Some people don't remember that show. But (laughs) because they just want to be a celebrity, then I just... You know, I just go through, I mean, I just, I have to be devil's advocate, you know. I, being behind the scenes of it all, being also an actor, having to audition, I have to embrace the good and bad sides of it, and they also have to embrace that, too. Well, that's interesting how you, how you split that, though, the idea of people who have potential and people who just want to be celebrities. So do you think it's possible to be sincere but to not have the potential you're looking for? Um, to be sincere, as in, like, if you're auditioning. As in, would you, would you say that it's possible that somebody could come into an audition, really want it, really care about it, and be passionate about it, and just in your eyes, maybe just not have the potential for the piece? Oh, yeah, I've come come across people So then, how do you deal with that? Like, how do you, how do you work with someone who doesn't have potential, but who wants it? I'm weird. I'm, maybe because I'm young at this point in time in my life. (laughs) I see it as a challenge to me if I see that they have this ambition and they're willing to learn so much. I'm willing to take them part of a project and work with them. So I can see, like, I feel like I can, like, oh, they have so much passion. They have the look. And then there's some people who don't even have the look. But I can hear the earnestness, the fighting they have inside of them. And so I just take it as a challenge and see what we can go with it. The short play I'm doing, I have two actors who really never really performed in theater, Mm -hmm. but they show the desire to learn. And so far, watching their growth 
through the pre-rehearsals we've been doing has been beautiful. And just seeing, it's like tending to a garden, you know? Especially in this desert, you have yeah. to have a lot of hope. And <laughs> Can't let that garden go to waste. Right? Oh, you right? You, yeah. you have to keep an eye on it. But when it finally blossoms, when the, when it's time for the flower to blossom, it's a beautiful moment, and it's rewarding to be part of that person's journey. So let's talk about the play then. So uh, Lindenier, uh, it's a short play. When did you decide that you wanted to? create a work that other people were going to act? Um, I decided I've always wanted to write a play but then I was like, oh, it's too long. <laughs> How do people do this? And then it's so intimidating because yeah. you you know, you have to be creative, you have to have this subtext, you have to be witty and so I I decided to write the play when I think Phoenix Theater where they were doing their submissions for the new playwrights, yeah. new works. New American Theater yeah. Festival. Yeah. yeah, and I was like, oh, you know what? I should I should write something. I should write something, yes. And then the idea of I should write something came from, I was going through a point in time in my life where, you know, I was very depressed and didn't know where I was going. And I tried to tell friends and family and people colleagues about how I was feeling but they just couldn't understand it they just I felt like I wasn't expressing how I felt properly enough to them I felt like this weirdo who's going through things and the people closest to her just struggle to comprehend it and, and it makes you feel so alone and I when I saw the opportunity for the new works I was like you know what let me try and put this into words I want to put how I feel into words in a play setting and interview other people who may feel the same way I feel and write in a way where it reaches not just us two, not just me and this other person, but a lot of people in the U.S. And how I started writing the play, the short play, Lend an Ear, was by monologue form. That's how I started writing it. Each scene was a monologue. So anytime I had this need, reason to speak, let's say I got off a phone call with a guy who just literally told me that he doesn't love me anymore or he could never love me. God, that did happen. Oh, still bright. <laughs> and I'm crying, but then subconscious Tyler is like, this is good for a scene. <laughs> I don't know if I can't believe you just said that. Yes. Say that again, though. Yes, I don't know if your acting teachers ever told you this, but... Any emotional moment in your life, good or bad, take a step back and notice how your body reacts to it because it can help you understand the characters in the play. So that's what I did. And while I was in this moment, I took a pen and paper and I started writing like what I wanted to say to this person and how I felt. And then when I was done and I was past the emotion, I went back and read it and I was like, oh, okay. This can be something. So I went to go interview some friends, some uh, people at Poetry Slams about how do you feel when you talk to your friends and family about depression or anxiety or feeling like you don't belong? How do you feel when you're not heard? 
and then they'll just talk to me and I'll just start writing all that stuff down. And the way I would write it down is sometimes I'll record the person and then I'll use their pauses or size within the uh, monologue I was writing. And when I was all done with that, I decided to make into a scene. And that's the hardest part, (laughs) forming natural dialogue to make that into a scene. And so with these monologues I had, making it into a scene, I had to think back to when I was trying to express how I felt to a close friend and they just couldn't understand it. And it broke my heart because we've been friends for a very long time. And I just remembered what she was saying to me during that moment. And I just started replaying that situation in my head. And then that's what helped me write the scene work for Lenda Ear. And when I was done with the whole short play, I submitted it to Phoenix Theater. And I was like, yes, I did it. I'm an artist. I did research. I wrote monologues. And then I, I sent it to wait them. Wait for the publishing. And then they said, we'll let you know around October. So I was waiting. I was like, yes, this is my time. This is my time. And then I got the email saying, sorry, we are not accepting this play. Thank you so much. <laughs> Try again next time. And then I was like, oh, I was never meant to be a writer. I was never meant to be an actress. Research was stupid. What did these hands do? Curse this mind. (laughs) Self-loathing. That's where I went to, self-loathing. And then, oh, I just kept it in a folder. And it wasn't until this year where, after I did my first uh, production at the Phoenix Center for the Arts, the monologue and storytelling festival, I... Didn't do anything else after that. I was in this little limbo where life was just punching me in the face. You know, my job was not going well. And everyone close to me started changing. And the relationships I had were ending. I don't know if it was because Mercury was in retrograde, but (laughs) everything was just going wrong. And I was just so exasperated. I felt like I couldn't breathe. I felt like I was about to have a panic attack in front of many people. So I just stopped socializing. I just went into this little hermit crab state. And it wasn't until a friend of mine, her name is Shonda. I met with her at Starbucks, I think. Yeah. And she was like, so Ty, when are you going to do another production? And I was like, Excuse me? And she was like, um, I haven't seen anything from you since. Um, why don't you just, oh, we should do like a play. So I was like, oh, a play? <laughs> I don't know how to write. Maybe we should look for other people's plays. And then she, I think she asked me about the play I wrote last time that I sent into the new works because I had my friends read it also. And then I was like, yeah, I can go back to that. So I went back and I read through it. And it was very therapeutic because everything I wrote down was exactly how I was feeling right now. It was like answers to all the emotional turmoil written on a page. And I was so glad that I took that time to look internally, mentally, 
seek help, even like talk to counselors and, you know, therapists, just to understand why we feel the way we do. I was so thankful that past child took that time to do her research to write this short play that now I can come back to it and edit it and actually see how it can be delivered on stage, not just with me acting in it. I decided I didn't want to act in it. I wanted to see how these words came out of other actresses' mouths to hear from, hear what I was thinking from their uh, voice. And the outcome was very beautiful, especially during auditions, to see how naturally what I wrote down on this paper come out of these actresses' mouths. And then their performance made me realize that how they were able to tap in into that emotion without me like directing them, really. It made me realize that we all have this ability to empathize and sympathize with others. Even if, even by reading words on paper, you're able to pick up on what emotion this person's feeling. It shows me that we all have this ability to listen and be attentive to those that we care about. We just have to be willing to do that, to lend an ear when someone's going through something. Love it. And that's on that note. I kind of wrap it up. I'll ask a couple of questions I'd like to ask. Yeah. No, that was good. You even had a title drop in the end. That was fantastic. Um, so uh, first thing I'd like to ask is just any other artist in town of any discipline that you want to give some recognition to, any kind of shout out. Yes. Um, oh. I want to give a shout out to is this just one artist? Anybody you want. As, however you can think of. Okay. I want to give a shout out to Will Hightower for even though he wants to be all modest and whatnot, he took the time to meet with me and helped me or guide me on the right path to making my own my first production. And I want to thank Ron May for believing in this little girl. <laughs> little girl with a dream who never done nothing. Showed up to the audition with a blank page, a face on a blank page. <laughs> he said, okay, let's go. <laughs> Bless his soul. Oh, man. And I would like to also thank Arizona Actors Academy because they're one of the many acting uh acting uh, classes where it showed me the, you know, the, the real side of acting, the, the techniques that actors use to create art, mm -hmm. real art. And so it, I'm glad with all those people and places, it helped me gain a better appreciation for performance art. Excellent. And extra shout out to Will Hightower, friend of the show and past guest as well. Yes. Um, yep, everybody. Getting everybody. Uh, <laughs> next up, uh, any personal projects you want to plug? Um, personal projects. Well, since we talked about, yes, lend it here. Yeah, that's yes. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, would like to talk about uh, lend it here that is happening at the Lawn Gnome Bookstore. It's a play reading. Um, we casted our 
actresses for this play. And it'll be happening August 11th, my birthday. Woo, what a time, right? Uh, 6.30 p.m. And yeah, at the Lawn Gnome Bookstore. And it's on Facebook. And it's also on the Arizona Open Book Society Facebook as well. And yeah, please come by, show your support. It's going to be a play reading, and also we're going to talk about how mental health and the arts are combined and how they can uh, help each other, and also discussing how we can make mental health less a stigma in our communities. And if you want a sample of it, first, the monologue cafe that um, you co-produced with Laughing Pig uh, is at the end of July, too, which uh, some of your monologues from Linda Neer are going to be featuring in that as well. So yes. that's a chance to get a sample and to promote myself as well. Yes. Uh, so and the monologue cafe, that beautiful. Let me tell you. Don't even. It's, that, no, that's no, not what no, I'm no. asking for. No. No, Tyo. I want to say when I learned that Laughing Pig Theater was doing a monologue cafe, I was like, motherfucking yes, motherfucking hell yes, because like I said, I was obsessed with monologues. Like that was my thing at this point in time. Whatever my artistic inspiration is, is monologues. And to know that you all were focusing on monologues, I was like, yes, let people understand the process of it. That even Kate Blanchett said that monologues are the hardest thing to do and it's, you need more work and time with it. And it's more, ah, you know, so. Yes, yes so thank you. can you. see Tayo performing in that before you can see the work that she wrote. Uh, wonderful. Any uh, last piece of advice like that you would want to give to someone who is going to follow the same path you took? Yes. Um, don't ever be afraid to ask for help in any aspect, really, whether you're pursuing the arts or in life, just don't ask, don't be afraid to ask for help because this journey is a long one. But when you're surrounded by people who support you and appreciate you and believe in what you're doing, it can, it can push you forward. You can keep going. So yeah. Let it push you forward. Don't be afraid. I love it. All right. Tag to love you. Thank you so much. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Special thanks to Nick Machete for writing our theme music and Taylor Machete for all of her support. If you are enjoying the podcast so far, don't forget to follow us and leave nice ratings on Facebook, Twitter, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Pinecast.co. And if you or someone you know is pursuing something artistic in the Phoenix area and you'd like to be on the podcast, write to me at starvingartistphx at gmail.com.